Welcome to the Conversations with Women of Color podcast with your hosts Danusha and Megan. In today's episode, we chat with Mayuri Gavinder, founder and owner of Breaking Brown Silence and EDI Consulting. Mayuri is renowned for her work in the transformation space. She is an admitted attorney, academic writer, editor, author, and content creator. Enjoy listening to her insights on anti-racism and anti-discrimination. Hey Mayuri, how are you doing today? Hi, uh, Megan and Danusha. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. It's been a it's been a chilly morning in Johannesburg, but otherwise, all good. Yeah, it's um actually not too bad in Cape Town. We are experiencing quite um overcast weather today, but yeah, it's also been a good morning. That's great. Hi, Mayuri. So excited to have you here today. Hi, Danusha. I'm really excited to be here as well. I feel like I've been following you guys. It's been it's really exciting to be on here with the both of you. Absolutely. Let's let's just dive into it. There's lots to talk about as we <laughs> gather. So yeah, let's go for it. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. So um, I'm an attorney by profession, but I've spent most of my uh, professional career in publishing and legal education um, and resourcing in legal publishing houses. Um, and then I moved into higher education developing law courses and editing and yeah just a lot of content and material development in higher education and 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 new business development but while doing that I've always written on the side I've always been an activist um, an advocate for social issues um, and worked with magazines I'm a published author and in the last year or so I decided to make education and social justice, my main focus. And now I'm an EDI consultant with my consulting consultancy, BBS Consulting, where we deal with anti-racism and anti-discrimination learning resources. I think that's me in a nutshell, big mouthful though. <laughs> yeah, it's super impressive. You say you are published. Is that in academic literature or is it a book? No, in the Durban Review's um, inaugural a women's anthology, which came out in 2019, I wrote a piece on mental health that was published in their women's anthology for that year. Amazing. I am a huge fan and I've been following you, I think, almost when you had started and your posts just make us think to really examine things the way that we wouldn't have or we, we haven't done. And yeah, it's just really moving. So She's breaking brown silence Aww. on Instagram. <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> read or seen her work, do check it out. So Mayuri, I just wanted to get into generational trauma. So historically or generational trauma, as you've mentioned on your Instagram post, is the multi-generational trauma experienced by a specific cultural, racial or ethnic group. And it's um, related to major events that oppressed or a particular group of people because of their status as oppressed. And this is from Sotero, 2006. So we know that you said this from a psychological point of view, as you mentioned here, is that we don't have much written literature about indenture in South Africa. And what I wanted to share is that, so my, grand, my grandfather, for example, he actually lived in Tonga, so he's, or fathers or his great-grandparents came here as indentured 
neighbors and they were he was one of five kids and when his siblings when his father actually passed away he had to then look after the kids and he was only 15 years old so he had to look after his siblings his two brothers two sisters and like to this day um he's had to endure so much he's the strongest wisest man i know and many of us have this about our grandparents right many of them had mm-hmm. to do this and we never spoke about they never spoke about that struggle they never complained they never said it was difficult um i've never heard a bad story from him at all but you know today we're no longer in the survival mode right but we suffer the consequences from it so in what way does generational trauma affect us as south african indians you know it's such a complex question and it's such a complex set of information what everything you've mentioned is so true for the south african indian community i want to go back a minute just in terms of like the way generational trauma is developed and it's basically like without becoming too scientific it's a hereditary change in your genes as a result of trauma it leaves marks on your um the coating of your chromosomes and it becomes sort of a memory layer and because of that it becomes a physical reminder in the body of how your trauma manifests therefore our own trauma multiplied by our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors before that so the the concept of generational trauma if we think about it it's so vast and as in in cycles of trauma it can be we have to note this it's it's it can be environmental and invo- emotional and physical to name a few mental um and there's also theories that have been explored internationally from um a generational trauma space post slavery in the US as well as during the holocaust as you mentioned and I, as i mentioned psychological trauma hasn't been fully explored in the south african indian um context but it it is currently it's quite a conversation there's quite a few people including like Letitia and I do who is currently um working in the space quite ardently the things you've mentioned in terms of carrying that burden it can be said actually for all south africans of color because of our oppressive past with apartheid and it and it is because it affected such a uh, basic human rights um because refusing access may have brought in rejection it may have affected us in terms of imposter syndrome right as all community as all south africans of color um but mm. when we talk about the context of south african indians right and specifically indians who arrived here as indentured laborers and also indians and sri lankans who arrived here prior to indenture in the cape slave trade if you think about it there there's mu- there's a multitude of ways in which it affects us and it affects our behavioral health um, and mental health so i mentioned imposter syndrome before that's feeling out of place it's feeling like you're constantly doubting yourself it affects your self esteem it can lead to depression it can lead to major anxiety issues because we want to overperform all the time and those depressive things can escalate into really like intense suicidal thoughts even i mentioned before as well on my page that indentia um had one of the highest rates of suicide recorded at the time um and something we never ever talk mm. about about how mental health is actually such an a generational trauma both under um unreported and undiagnosed self-destructive and self-harming behaviors substance abuse addiction um physical health as we've spoken about as i've mentioned before once or twice in our ca- cardiovascular diseases diabetes because of not having access to proper foods um having to feed so many mouths um unresolved grief 
contributing to these behavioral issues in children because you know we don't hear it our families don't want to talk about it so they're holding something and then we don't really necessarily understand fully their like experiences um, it affects our identities and our cultural identities because there's so much damage to that and erasure as well as like um, a displacement and and trying to find ourselves out of that that traumatic situation but actually not fitting in anywhere so you know it, it has such a huge um, impact on us um, and these are some of the ways that it affects the South African Indian community for sure but also all communities of color. Russia, I never knew this that is um, so deep and complex I mean I didn't realize it had an impact on physical and your mental health. You mentioned something, you said that our families don't want to talk about it. So many of us struggle with mental health and we are met with comments like, oh, you know, just get over it or you'll be fine. How do we approach black and brown parents or any family members about mental health? Our community is, um, to some degree, I want to say are unaware. And I, I say this not from a sense of, them not consciously being unaware. I mean it from an unconscious place because the moment you raise it, sometimes the terminology is is so far removed um, from a survival instinct and a survival um, mentality that most communities of color, um, black and brown communities have been living in that it seems that we are dismissive of psychological issues because it's seen as weak or a privileged issue or white issue. Um, and, and so we are trained to be harder on ourselves. And I think that's where our community sort of come from. Like we're in fight or flight. We're trying to make ends meet here. Um, we've all overcome and we're, we're doing our best and look, we're, we're overcoming and we're doing so much better as a situation. And so that dismissiveness, I think comes really from a place of, you should be stronger than you think you are. You know, like, look at us, we are strong. Um, but when we are talking about it to them, to try and get them to change their perspective of it. I think we really need to start talking about our feelings with our, with our parents and start and, and our families and start sort of um, authentically and small in the sense of I've been feeling really down. Um, I really want you to hear me out. I really want to share some of what I've been going through with you. And, and it might actually encourage them to start talking about their own struggles. But I think educating them on how deep and intergenerational trauma is and how it actually affects them too might be a really good way to start that conversation from a from a level footing as in we are all actually in the same boat whether we realize it or not Mm, 100% I fully agree that you know they are so removed from this chat like they're so removed from the terminology as you said so maybe that is a good solution just talking about how it affects them too or ha- how it has affected them um what or i wanted could have to affected also, them yeah mm, and and their families or their siblings i mean a lot of us i mean i don't know about you but there's you know that uncle that you know is a substance like abuses alcohol mm. or, or, mm. i mean all of us we must have one uncle in the family that does it and you yeah. know we don't know what the reasons are but it could easily be this and it's serious and it's something that you know they could actually um, overcome with therapy and therapy is something we don't talk about therapy is a foreign term in in, in so many families um I love that you're open about it. Like you speak about, you know, your mental health struggles. 
And I do feel that, you know, there's still so much stigma attached to any mental health. um, I don't want to say issues, but mental health struggles, perhaps. Um, So I wanted to also chat about um, your mom. I know she was recently in surgery. Um, I hope she's doing well on her recovery. She is. She is doing a lot better. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's very good news. Um, I, I saw a post that you speak about Western and clean eating as the standardized answer to our perceived problems and the way that the socioeconomic privilege affects health. So how are medical professionals and counselors dismissive of our culture through the concept of health? I think they really don't take intergenerational factors into consideration. And it's kind of interesting to me because I know that medical professionals and healthcare professionals they, they work in a space of learning about the brain and learning neuro pathways, learning psycho- psychological courses, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very interesting to me that like epigenetics, which is what it, what, what it is, um, that mm. memory layer, isn't something that's fully explored in them. And I think it leads to, um, it leads to a sense of blame. The way that they're dismissive is that they're very, it, it's centered in, in, in blameworthiness and in criticizing our poor choices, our poor food choices and health choices without understanding that, yes, intergenerational trauma from an overall perspective is one thing. But the second thing is also from a socioeconomic um, point of view in South Africa, like co- communities of colors were set back by the apartheid. We have been, we were already given a space where we were not we were not given a space to flourish um, without like trying to insert ourselves um, and overcome certain things. And because of those things, like there was often only one person in like a whole group of extended family that inverted commas made it. And therefore that person started trying to expose the family to more or, you know, feeding ourselves was such a, is, is, is a communal thing. We had to do it on a, mm. on a large scale. We had to feed many mouths. I, I say it that way. And medical professionals don't seem to take socioeconomic privilege as well as the history of what has happened in this country into consideration when they're helping a person move through their intergenerational disease like diabetes, like heart disease, kidney failure or kidney disease, even other ones, to be honest, like, uh, but, but mm. specifically those that affect, really affect communities of color. And it's really centered in that blameworthiness. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I really don't think that they take uh, social economic privilege into consideration. And I've been doing a lot of research um, on the anti-diet movement. The more I read up on it, I actually see that diets or this concept of clean eating and, and so many um factors in this industry is rooted in racism. Even a simple thing like the BMI, it was started by this European man who collected his data based on white European men only. He wasn't even a health expert to begin with. He studied, I think he studied maths, um, statistics and um, astrology. So he was trying to find like this perfect or ideal body and he used the ratio of um, your height and your weight. And so uh, he, co- he collected data from these white European men and that data is used to uh, measure your body mass index. And I mean, it doesn't take into account race 
identity. It doesn't take into account so many things. These concepts are actually rooted in racism. Now, I just want to speak about your work in diversity and inclusion. I mean, it's very inspiring. Um, you mentioned earlier that you are an attorney as well. What made you leave corporate to become an activist? This is a little bit of a, a complicated one in the sense of that I didn't leave corporate to become an activist. I was always an activist while I was in corporate. And I actually ended up leaving, whether it was corporate higher education or publishing, or whatever it was, I ended up leaving that to pursue education. And I guess it is still activism in some way because it is working outside of the system as opposed to advocacy, mm. which is within the system, you know. But it's it's a little mm. bit complicated. But if I had to take why I chose this route in terms of like diversity and inclusion, inclusion education it really comes from the place of um last year when i sat on my alumni um, transformation committee and forming part of the mamela collective which is uh, my alumni's anti-racism movement um social justice movement that was sort of trying to transform um the school space when i started dealing with people from inside of the schools, uh, people who were in charge, like the institutional structures, I realized that like that burden on people of color to educate white people and institutional structures, uh, um, systems and, and the people that uphold it was like so burdensome because they had not done the work themselves. And I realized that people embody these systems. So we're always talking about the system. We're always talking about how the structure needs to be um, dismantled, decolonized, and brought down from an institutionally mm-hmm. racist space. We're always talking about it, but who embodies those spaces? People, right? So when I sat there, it was like the missing link in the situation is people doing work for themselves, but there aren't enough, there aren't enough diversity consultants who work on an individual level. Um, basis. They work with companies. They work in systems, you know? Um, And I sort of saw a gap there and I was like, this is the problem. The problem is that people aren't doing the work on themselves and then we're getting frustrated. So I felt like a solution to that would be every person who wanted to be committed to anti-racism and anti-discrimination work, like here's a platform that's affordable enough for you to access anti-racism resources and have somebody guide you through it. having done the work, having done the resources and research for, not for you, but like, you know, you need to pay for anti-racism work, first of all. It cannot be for free. Um, It cannot be the burden of people of color to teach white people and potentially white adjacent people. So yeah, that's kind of what made me want to leave what I was doing full-time and make this full-time. Like, I felt like this was a, a way to actually evoke um, invoke and like implement change on like a grassroots level that could ripple into an institutional level if that makes sense yeah it's brilliant like I, I love that you've done this and like I've said I've, I've learned so much from you speaking about that like why is a diversity officer or chief diversity officer just not enough in a company you know I feel like and I've mentioned this in a post before it might be a little controversial but um I, I feel like diversity has been diluted to use BEE as its standpoint, as its method of bringing color into the into the workplace when, yes, affirmative action is really important, but affirmative action needs to come with a transformed environment. It was part of a transformation plan for the country. So diversity officers tend to just use what's expected from the country 
to place color into a company. And one of the things I do talk about a lot in my in my offerings is that um, diversity metrics don't mean inclusion and don't mean equity and equality. It's simply a metric. Mm. But if your culture of the company hasn't been transformed, which is what the diversity office is supposed to do, really, if the culture isn't transformed, then the people, all the, because I've, I've also worked in like, very diverse companies where the majority of people in the company are people of color, but all the people in managerial positions um, are still white. All of the institutional, all of the institutional culture is still based on a, on a Eurocentric and Western sort of narrative, uh, but in terms of professionalism and what's expected from hair policies, et cetera, et cetera. It's because the culture hasn't been transformed and the diversity officer is not doing enough because they're not enforcing, really putting not just diversity into the company, but also working on inclusion, equity, equality, and transformation of the entire business. Yeah, you've explained it so well. And just drawing from that, I know that you offer these services. So you offer three paid membership options that focuses on exclusive content, anti-racial and anti-discriminational, anti-discrimination educational resources. So if anyone is interested in this do you want to explain a little bit about what your offerings are and then how do they sign up sure so there's two options um through my instagram um, profile where it's educational which is basically for free that's my breaking brown silence account um i have opened a patreon account where it's subscription based as you've mentioned and there's three options available um the one is you is simply resources that you can get and what you can do. Well, the first one is resources um, for about 75 Rand. Then the second tier is about 150 Rand and you will get those those same learning resources as well as a newsletter. That's the monthly Breaking Brown Silence newsletter as well as patron only blog posts that I write just for the Patreon. And then there's a third option, which is about... um, 350 rand uh, where you will get all of the above that's mentioned in the other two tiers together with either a half an hour consult with me or video content um, for the month and that happens like on a monthly basis that you can literally sign up through my link my patreon link in my profile Um, and yeah like it's literally automatic because patreon is really it's um it's a it's a platform that is all integrated so um if you log into your Patreon account and whoever you're following, sort of like Instagram in that way, um, all of the content will be there for you, whether it's video links, whether it's resources. And of course, with uh, setting up a consult, if you're on the third tier, it's literally just DM, set up a time. Um, And then of course, I run my business on the other side of this, which is the BBS consulting side. And that's just consultancies, webinars on -on one-on-one basis, on a group basis. Um, And that's just contact me directly. Thank you so That's much, awesome. Um <laughs> You're more than welcome. If anyone wants to follow you, can you maybe just share the IG link? So um, if anyone wants to follow you, they can just head over to your page and support your business. Sure. So my um, educational pro- profile is at Breaking Brown Silence and my um, consultancy is at bbs.consulting. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I hope you, everyone listening has learned something and I hope they check out your work and definitely advise that companies, you know, book you and use your skills and your knowledge to really implement diversity changes to their culture at their institution.
I really appreciate that to the both of you. Thank you, Megan and Denisha, for um, thinking about me and amplifying um, Breaking Brown Silence and, and myself. Um, I really, really appreciate that. And I really hope that all of your listeners gain some insight and some food for thought. <laughs> we definitely learned a lot in this episode. So thank you so much, Mayuri. All the best with your business. And we hope to have you on the show in the near future. Me too. Yes. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining Conversations with Women of Colour. Check out our Instagram page called Conversations with Women of Colour.